With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Surprised her world by adding another joint in the night. But the Nelephant's hands were the most curious thing about her. For just by the little toe on its own that all cats have, there was another very big one, like a thumb. And the positively human look this gave the Nelephant when she sat up at table was uncanny. When she walked, she merely looked club-footed, and made a noise like the clatter of high-heeled slippers. Peter induced her to do a monotype by dint of rubbing her paw on the prepared zinc plate, but though he contended, when he had pulled the print, that the quality thus attained was most interesting. We declared its only value was as an example of the Bertillon system. It was a delightfully silly evening, and Peter was gayer than I had known him since our meeting on the chuff, before Haggett's had drained all the light-heartedness out of him. Chloe, in a bright blue silk kimono, and the depths of a tapestry armchair, looked the prettiest thing on earth. Very few people are really pretty, though many give an illusion of it. But whether you admired her particular type or not, there was no denying Chloe had an exquisitely finished prettiness. She is a slim, milk-white, sweetly sulky-looking creature, with china-blue eyes set in a pale, small oval face, and very fair hair, so fine that it goes in a silky cloud like that of a Fra Angelico's angel, a being she resembles as far as looks go for there is something suggestive of the pure light colors of the primitives in the almost excessive fairness of her skin, and in the pale but definite marking off from it of her fair, thin brows and delicately folded lips. The angelic quality shows, too, in the close modeling over her small bones and the fine lines of them from the chin to the close-set ear. Everything about her is pretty, the childish poses of her slim figure, her airs of petulance, her pouting underlip, just a shade too full for the upper, which, with the powdering of freckles across her nose, gives the note of individuality to what would otherwise be a physique too perfect to be interesting. She always makes me feel I want to pet her and keep her from anything disagreeable, and between us, Joe, who is big and plain and brown-eyed, 
and I had already withdrawn her from two unfortunate entanglements, with much loss of blood, so to speak. We made silly jokes and cocoa, so stiff that the spoons nearly stood up in it, and as we sat sipping it, I brought forward the question of what I was to do next. Stay here till something turns up, said Chloe and Joe, but to that I demurred. Such a nuisance, yawned Chloe. Viv's going to be poor and proud, as usual. So banal of her. Well now, how would this do, said Joe at last. It would mean you're going into the country, but I know you wouldn't mind that. Mind? I'd sell my soul for a mess of red earth. Well then, listen to this. The Culver Gang. You remember Ted Culver and his sister, long-haired survivals of the eighties? Rather. They went in for being bohemian or something, didn't they? I often wonder what that is. I called on a woman once who took liqueur in her tea, and she said, I'm afraid you'll think me very bohemian. Well, press on. Ted and his sister don't go in for liqueurs any more. They've discovered nature. Not human, the other kind. They are being vegetarians or pantheists or something down in Cornwall, with others like themselves, and they're going to paint a series of nature pictures. You'd think most decent pictures were that, but apparently these are going to be something extra-specially natural. And is the model to be, well, extra-specially au naturel? Oh, they're having a pro down for that. But I'm commissioned to find them someone who's an unmodern wood-nymphy type, to droop over boulders and twine round trees in appropriate attitudes, and some art muslin. Now would you like to go? If so, I'll write tomorrow morning and suggest it. It needn't tie you to going if you find anything better in town, and I suppose even you aren't too proud to stay with us while you look for something. You're a practical angel, Joe. Do write. It can do no harm anyway. This seemed all that could be done at present as far as my plans were concerned. But there was still Peter to be thought of, and when we had finished our cocoa and the fire was dying down, and he had said good-night. I went with him as far as the half-door into the yard. And you, Peter? I asked him, taking him by the lapels of his coat, as we stood together at the foot of the ladder-like stairs that ascended from the dim wilderness of sacks and harness. I've got my idea, you know, Viv. The one I told you about. At least I said I wouldn't tell you about it till I knew more myself. Just as you like, Peter. Only I can't help worrying over leaving you alone in London like this. Will you promise me one thing? What is it? You must promise first. Please, Peter. I say I can't. It might be something I couldn't possibly do. You don't trust me? Don't be a little silly. Of course I do. Then why not promise without knowing? because it might be something divinely idiotic and criminally altruistic on your part 
that I couldn't take advantage of. Oh, no, it's quite a prosaic little thing. But don't if you'd rather not. Only I had thought you would, for me. Oh, I say, Viv. All right, I promise. Now what is it? Only if your idea is some time in coming off, and things get bad, that you'll make use of my watch. I'm going to leave it with you in case. I shan't want it, you see, with all my expenses being paid. My dear child, I'd so much rather not. You might want it, one never knows. My dear child, you're much more likely to want it than I am. But hang it all, it's your watch. Peter! I beg your pardon, Viv. It was an ungenerous thing to say, but I'd so much rather it was my watch, and I was lending it to you. Oh, the eternal masculine! But you promised, Peter. I know I did, damn it all. Look here, Viv. Shall we say you keep the watch, and if I really need it, I swear to write and ask you for it? No, thank you. You wouldn't like to ask me for it when you were actually needing it. You take it now when you're not, then you'll use it when the time comes. A watch isn't a thing to tell the time by, you know. I passed the chain over his head, tucking it away under the soft, turned-down collar of his shirt. The touch of the flannel reminded me of something else I wished to say. And do remember, when you've washed your things, always to air them thoroughly. Your landlady will put them in front of the fire if you ask her nicely. You know, if I hadn't aired them over my oil stove at Haggett's, you'd have had ptomaine or pneumonia, or whatever the thing is, beginning with a P that one gets when one's caught a chill. Oh, my dear Viv, I can't go making a fool of myself before my landlady. I registered a resolve to go and make love to Peter's landlady myself before I left town, and so did not press the point of the clothes airing. As I buttoned Peter's coat across his chest, he suddenly caught both my hands and held them. Viv, he began. Viv! Oh, what's the good of words when I can do nothing for you? I'd like to build you a little gold shrine and put you in it, and burn candles and red lamps and incense in front of you. No, I wouldn't. Your shrine ought to be a wayside one with a big halo hat to keep the rain off you, and wildflowers all a-growing and a-blowing before you. Oh, Viv, I'll write such divine nonsense to you some day, and you shall make pictures for it. But you must go home to bed now, my dear, I said, all the more prosaically, because his words made an odd little glow of something that was not exactly pleasure run through me. He gave a short laugh, then very slowly raised my hands and kissed them, one after the other. Bless you, Viv, he said. You make me understand what is meant when we're told the angels are sexless. The thing that has always appealed to me about heaven, I remarked thoughtfully, is that there is neither marrying nor giving in marriage. It almost counterbalances there being no more sea. By the way, have you noticed the joys of heaven seem mostly negative? 
the kingdom of heaven said peter very gravely is within us which means it's as much here and now as the outside world and is one with it like body and soul and marrying should be one of the joys of both there are still some things you've got to learn viv but joe and chloe are wanting to get to sleep and i'm very sleepy too and you ought to be oh peter well what were you going to say viv nothing at least it was silliness it's only that when you talk like that about the things that matter like the kingdom within us i tremble lest you'll get some very hard knocks as you go through the world and it makes me want to protect you so much and one is so impotent now you must go and mind you go straight to bed good night we stood looking for a moment into the moonlit courtyard from their stalls came the stamping of horses and the good smell of hay was in the air peter drew a long breath then turned to shake hands good night viv he said remember me in your dreams End of chapter 12